listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 293. Man, we're so close to being 300, Mark. About seven away, are we? Yeah, yeah. Hey, if anybody wants us to sponsor our 300th episode, reach out to me. We could do something really cool like we did for our 200th episode. Get a bunch of people together, nice restaurant, a few cocktails or so, do the podcast live. But we have something much more important to talk about, Paige. What? You're sporting some new headphones. Oh, yeah. They're earbuds. <laughs> they look extremely professional. How do they sound? Amazing. They're way better than these bulky headphones. Yeah, so. I may end up having to get a pair, too. Yeah, well, I sent you a link, so have at it. I will have at it. Speaking of having at it, if you want to leave us a review, ridiculously easy. Click the link in the show notes if you want to try to remember. Lovethepodcast.com forward slash OGTW. We got a review from Tess. Yeah, because I'm not going to try to even pronounce her last name. <laughs> <laughs> you can. I'm not. It's, Hi, Mark. I was the manager of planning and economics at Valero Benincia and found your podcast two years ago. I want to say thanks for the work on oil and gas this week. I usually listen to you and Paige when I'm running and often catch myself yelling, <laughs> yes, exactly. And people around me would give me funny <laughs> looks. I've shared a few headlines from the podcast during the leadership morning meetings. Your insights in the industry is a great compliment to Opus Reports. My husband, who does works at Axons, now listens to you too. I have since moved on from Valero and have transitioned to tech, but I still do listen to every episode. It's a great way for me to keep up with the industry and is still so dear to me. Keep up the great work, Tess. Hey, What a heartfelt review. Yeah. Thank you, Tess, and your husband. All right, let's get into the news stories. House Republicans passed bill to limit drawdowns on Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Yes, you've heard me talk about this for a long time. The Strategic Petroleum Reserve is there in case our country gets into a bad position and needs those hydrocarbons to basically fuel our industry and war machine. Our current administration has used it basically to try to sway public perception. The amount of crude that you put on the market when you pull it out of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve only affects prices for a couple of hours. It doesn't really affect prices in the long term. However, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is at its lowest rate than it's been since 1984. We've drawn it down that much with no concrete plans on how to refill it. Now, Paige, here's what worries me. We're down to a measly 380 million barrels. Now, that sounds like a lot of barrels, right? Right. That's enough to run the U.S. for 19 days. Goodness. If something bad happens, instead of having months and months and months of hydrocarbons to run this country in our war machine, we have 19 days of fuel. So our country's gas gauge is right before that little red line on E. This is insane. This is a huge national defense issue. It's also... When you look at geopolitics, it's also not good for our industry. The world's oil producers, besides us, countries like Russia and OPEC, know that we have to refill the strategic petroleum reserve. Now, if you knew that we had to buy it to refill it, and you're a producer of the hydrocarbons, 
Do you think you're going to cut us a discount? No. No. <laughs> so it's going to... I'm tired of being part of history, man. It's going to affect the U.S. finances. Now, the Republicans have put a bill together to try to limit this from ever happening again. Basically, you want to say that unless it's unbelievably important, you cannot use the strategic petroleum reserve to try to affect markets. Now, the problem is, because of our current mix of Senate and House of Representatives, this has zero chance to be signed into law. It's lack the support of a lot of Democrats. Now, here's the interesting thing. There's actually a handful of Democrats who I'm not a huge fan of because we disagree politically mm-hmm. that are actually on the side of the Republicans saying, this is important. We need to fill this back up. So it, even Smart though I don't people. agree with them, at least there's some common sense going on right now. Right. There's no tangible benefit to the American people are keeping this thing low. And it's actually a huge risk. And it's one of those things that was touted in the media a lot as they were trying to lower the prices at the pump, saying, look what our current administration is doing with the street petroleum reserve. Right now, nobody's talking about how empty it is and how we're going to fill it back up. This is super important. Let's hope somebody somewhere has enough sense and can find enough money to actually start filling this thing back up. Our current administration, even though the Inflation Reduction Act has some money earmarked to this, there's no concrete plan. So we're, like I said, we're on that little red line right before E, and we need to get this thing back up at least to halfway by the end of next year. Okay. Operations halted at Saihan Oil Terminal after huge earthquake. Yeah, if you've watched the news the last couple of days, you've known this massive earthquake, almost an 8 magnitude, I think it's 7.8 magnitude, hit Turkey and Syria. This has caused massive disruptions. So first thing, you know, a little moment of silence for the people that lost their lives. But this has caused massive disruptions in not only the movement of hydrocarbons around that part of the world, but the movement of food, the movement of people, the movement of supplies, medical supplies. They're still pulling people out of rubble. I saw actually this morning that they actually pulled three young children that were still alive after all this time from a collapsed building. The good thing is most of the pipeline infrastructure, even though they're cut off, were not damaged. That's great. However, you can't just cut these pipelines back on. They have to be inspected, make sure that there's not any danger to the people, to the environment. And then with what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, we need to get this oil back online as soon as we possibly can. It looks like it's going to be about another two weeks or three weeks before about half of this comes back online. So, you know, but until that happens, you're literally missing close to two tons of oil that's normally transported to this country. So, you know, our hearts and prayers are out there for the people that you know, lost their homes and lost their lives. And their families and Yeah, and all that. that. At the same time, we need to get the infrastructure back up. The good thing is everybody and their brother-in-law has jumped over. (laughs) All the super majors, nationalized oil companies. You got farmers out there with shovels trying to help. Yeah. So, you know, our hearts and prayers go out to the people of Syria and Turkey, but this infrastructure needs to be brought back online as soon as possible. Okay. Colorado regulator suspends oil companies' ability to operate wells. So you know, Paige. I beat up a lot of organizations and companies that don't like our industry because they don't understand what we do. And I say all the time that our industry is the most vital one there is to mankind and that we can operate environmentally responsibly and provide cheap, abundant energy to the world. However, sometimes there's some companies out there that just play in the gray area. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, this is one of them. I totally support what's going on here. So OGCC is literally stopping this company's ability to transport oil and gas for six months. Along with suspending, I think over is it over a thousand wells that they're operating. Yes, out there? it's over a thousand. Yeah, I looked and, into it. It's yeah. pretty extensive. 
Yeah. And there's also fines being involved, which need to be, you know, if you're an operator and you're intentionally operating as close to the border of fines and environmental irresponsibility and HSE violations, shame on you. Yep. Yep. So this is, what is the name of this company? KP Coffin. Yeah. KP Coffin looks like for years they did just enough to stay on the other side of, of the fines and regulatory issues. OGCC has had enough. Commissioner Brett Ackerman said, had a lot of harsh words about this company. I agree with him. Come on, KPG. Our industry as a whole has a hard enough time with negative public perception. The way you're acting here, you're making it worse. You're literally giving proof to the people that don't like our industry that we don't care for the environment. So I'm glad they shut you down. Get your act together. Come back. Get it online. Do it right. And if you want to see exactly what has been going on, I've included a link in here with their operator number. So you can see the how extensive this is because it's unacceptable. Totally unacceptable. All right. I'll get off my milk box now. Norway says it will use wartime oil profits to aid Ukraine. So this is another one of those articles where an oil and gas operator in this case, in this case, Equinor, has made record profits because our world's politicians have tried to push us into renewables too fast and the world is in energy shortage. Equinor is being gracious and saying they're going to use a lot of these profits to support the wartime efforts in Ukraine, which is good. They don't have to do this. But if you read through this article, there's a bunch of stuff in here that just bothers me. There's the director of the Norwegian Climate Foundation, Lars Hendrik Parmeshelen. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> a mouthful. And his quote, most European countries are getting poor because of the war. Norway is getting richer. No, Lars Hendrik Poppet-Marshallin. Most Europeans are getting poor because of organizations like you that have tried to push us into renewables too quick. And when the world is in an energy shortage, the world was in an energy shortage before what happened to Ukraine. And so your statement here is literally just false. Norway's getting richer and richer because they had enough sense to realize the importance of hydrocarbons to the rest of the world. Now, Norwegians, you know, I think we talked about this before, Norway basically has a savings account. It's called the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund. And they had a record loss of $164 billion in 2022 because they invested a lot of money in sectors outside of mm-hmm. oil and gas. Right. We talked earlier about the COBP realizing they made a mistake. You've heard me talk for months about how Exxon and Chevron are pulling ahead because they're not investing large amounts of CAPEX into renewables because the world needs hydrocarbon energy right now. And that's where they're investing their dollars and their expertise. And so, you know, you look at European officials, they're talking about windfall taxes on companies like Equinor. And I'm laughing because they're also talking about windfall taxes on their renewable companies because the, <laughs> because the cost of energy is so high because of our world's politics that the renewables for the first time in Europe can make a profit. And now it looks like the same government that helped stood it up is go pass windfall taxes, which is going to put them out of business. So this is just ridiculous. The fact that Norway is going to use some of this money to help Ukraine is very admirable. They don't have to do this. For the rest of the world, these are not wartime profits. These are profits because the world needs energy. So right now, whatever device you're listening to this show on is requiring energy. And I promise you that energy most probably came from hydrocarbons. Right. All right. This is preposterous. Greenpeace campaigners climb aboard Shell oil and gas platform. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> all right so everybody click on the link to the article and go look at the very first picture if you see that zodiac that they're in flying the flag that says stop drilling start paying and if you notice the operators of the boat are in cold weather gear with life jackets 
Everything in that picture is made from hydrocarbons. <laughs> the boat's made from hydrocarbons. The banner's made from hydrocarbons. The PPE's made from hydrocarbons. The fuel that is running that Zodiac, I'm pretty sure, is not unicorn farts. I'm pretty sure that's also <laughs> hydrocarbons. So Greenpeace, thank you for buying hydrocarbons while you're protesting hydrocarbons. We really appreciate you in the industry, supporting our industry with your checkbook. This is four guys, four people that use ropes to climb on the deck. First thing, everybody that's listened to me, if you don't know how dangerous this I is, know. it's dangerous enough to be properly, after you've been trained to be properly transported on a deck of a rig via helicopter or crew boat, much less a small Zodiac and crawling up via ropes. This is insanity. Let me tell you what Shell did, which is not what I would have done. Shell, once they got there, gave them accommodations. They basically gave them room and said, look, it's not safe for y'all to try to leave in any way. So hang out with us until we finish this journey. I probably just would have pushed them off the deck accidentally. <laughs> Maybe not Oopsie. accidentally. But anyway, here's Greenpeace saying, hey, this rig is going out to start mining hydrocarbons. It's horrible for the planet. We're not going to stand for this. We're going to get our message out there. And what they don't realize is that Europe and especially the UK needs these hydrocarbons in this energy depleted world that we're going through. So Greenpeace, you're not helping anybody. One of the people that boarded with the other three was from the u.s yeah of course and so you know this sort of stuff number one is dangerous number two it doesn't help anything and quite simply greenpeace if you're trying to get your message out there which i personally don't agree with and i'm sure a lot of our audiences probably don't agree with you either this is an asinine way to do it you literally are using hydrocarbons to get your anti-hydrocarbon message out there <laughs> maybe take a chemistry class or two right <laughs> just just get educated people all right so let's talk about how Shell reacted to this. Shell threatens Greenpeace protesters with jail and fines. Of course they should. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> of course. Instead of pushing them off the platform. Yeah. Now, the ramification of this, this is called, this injunction will lead to contempt of court in the UK. And the reason it's contempt of court is because Shell's already won several cases against Greenpeace about doing this exact same thing. So the penalty there for contempt of court is up to two years in prison, a fine or both, which hopefully they throw everybody in prison for two years and give them a fine. Greenpeace claims that Shell's tactics failed because their second boat and their second set of climbers were different from the first one in the court case that they won. So Greenpeace, besides maybe taking eighth grade chemistry, maybe take some like introduction to UK law or something and understand certain legal terms like contempt of court. <laughs> this is this you can't make this stuff up. I love how Greenpeace is saying Shell's being heavy handed and a big oil brute. Literally, Shell gave your guys room and food. And right? kept you safe. And kept you safe. And didn't push you off the platform. push you overboard. <laughs> you think Shell's being heavy-handed? Jump on a rig into the Gulf Coast of Texas and see what happens. Yeah, no um, kidding. Of course, Greenpeace and their protesters are demanding that Shell stop expanding oil and gas production around the world. We need the energy. We just and need to take those people, gather them, and then drop them off in the middle of nowhere because that's what it's going to, you know, feel to live without hydrocarbons. Am I right? A hundred percent. Now, here's – I love this. They Somebody in Greenpeace <laughs> did the math, and they say this field, this penguin field that Shell's developing, that this rig is on its way to, would create 45 million tons of carbon dioxide. Do you know how much an average volcano emits when it erupts? Hmm. 
about 300 million tons. Oh, well, we should stop volcanoes. Yeah, Greenpeace. So if you really want to stop carbon dioxide, you need to start climbing with your ropes, the volcanoes, going into the volcanoes and telling them they need to stop emitting carbon dioxide. And if they don't listen to you, bring your Zodiacs and your protest signs until that volcano listens to you. Good Lord. Anyway, and seriously, world and Greenpeace, if you're listening. Which, by the way, if you are listening, I'm still mad at you. You won't come on the balance point as many times I've asked you to come on. But literally, if, if you're listening to this, if you're looking at operators that operate environmentally responsibly and recover of hydrocarbons, Shell, BP, Chevron X are probably the top in the world. Right. right. Because the world's an energy shortage, the world is going to use hydrocarbons. And if you don't let Shell do it, you're going to have CNOC do it or Gazprom do it. And I promise you, Greenpeace – their impact on the environment is much worse than what you think Shell is Yeah, doing. go bother them. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I'm not going to go too deep in this story. Greenpeace actually had a protest in the uh, 2011, 2012 with Gazprom. It didn't go too well for their people. Mm. They're still in Russian prisons. Very nice. And guess what? Greenpeace decided not to ever do it again. Oh. So anyway, and if you're listening to me, Greenpeace people in the Russian jails, I'm sorry. You should have known. Better. I don't think they're listening to you. I don't, I don't think, think so they. Uh, yeah, I think they're breaking rocks in Siberia. Yeah, pretty much. All right. So the next article is EPI promotes new vice president of upstream policy. You know, this is Holly Hopkins that they moved over to this position. I actually, I don't know Holly, but I actually had a chance to met her a long time ago. She was formerly the director of upstream policy. She's an attorney, if I remember correctly. She has 13 years of experience at API, but before that, she's from the industry. So this is the perfect person to take over this new role and still everything in a new direction, which, by the way, audiences, we're talking to API. I don't know what's going to come of it, but API and myself both agree that there needs to be new ways to help communicate to the world the benefits of what we're doing and also new ways to communicate to the U.S. politicians on why they should be pro-hydrocarbons. So stay About tuned. time. Yeah, stay tuned for something really cool to come out of that. You know, I'm on the board of directors of the API Houston chapter, which is not the global or the national. Not, not D.C. Yeah, not D.C., right? But this is the D.C. part of API. They moved Holly over to vice president of upstream policy. And she really is a great person to be leading the upstream policy team in this role. Good. Congratulations. Okie dokie. Federal legislation seeks to permanently ban offshore drilling along California coastline. <laughs> Y'all should see his face right now. <laughs> okay, people of California. <laughs> there's been no new drilling on your coast in, I believe, at least five years. So you're spending money and time to create new legislation to make sure that there's not drilling, even though nobody wants to drill off your coast because it makes no business sense. The reason, California, your energy prices are so high is because of stuff like this. And it's your state. You can do whatever you want. You know, being here in Texas, I sort of kind of hope you don't ever drill a new well again because it's just more market share for us. Which, by the way, California, you're still burning crude oil, natural gas. You want to guess where it's coming from? Us. You're importing from other countries. Yeah. Right? You're importing from countries that like to invade other countries, like Russia. You're also importing from other countries that don't care if they spill it, don't report if they spill it. Anyway, this is basically a law that would admit the Outer Connor Shelf Lands Act. That was a 1953 law that defines all laws that are three nautical miles offshore to be under federal jurisdiction as far as oil and gas leases. Yeah, Bessie. Yeah. And what so what California is saying, no, we want to go back and overturn the 1953 law, and we own all the way out to international, and we don't want anybody to drill there, even though nobody wants to drill in your state anywhere, especially offshore. And Paige, you know what's sad about this? 
What isn't sad, Mark, really? You can go to Los Angeles and walk to the beach, and you can see these beautiful production platforms that are sitting on conventional reservoirs with millions and millions and millions of barrels of recoverable oil and natural gas that would Mm -hmm. benefit not only the state of California, but the U.S. and the world. There's so much of it there. If California played their cards right, gasoline would be pennies on the for a gallon, right? Guess what? The pipelines that connect those production rigs to the infrastructure in California have been cut off for four years. So even though the hydrocarbons are there, they're not using them, and they're just sitting there. And it's got to so hypocritical. Right? I don't know if they've been shut off for four years. I'd have, actually have to go look and see what no, the production no, the is. Truth is. The truth is there's still a lot of – there's small production out there, right? Okay. But Because some of those are operated by beta. Right. But – The massive amount of hydrocarbons that used to flow from California's offshore conventional reservoirs have been throttled down to 97% is not Mm. being used, right, compared to if they turn the taps wide open. So, yeah, I did stretch the truth a little bit there. There's still operations of using California offshore oil, but every chance they get, they they lower it, lower it, diminish and diminish it with laws and regulations. This makes no sense because nobody's drilling out there anyway. But you know, <laughs> it's just it, wasting taxpayers' wasting money. Wasting taxpayers' money, and then if you look at some of the politicians that are talking about this, they're acting like the whole world wants to come punch holes in the beaches of California tomorrow. Well, Chevron just left there. Nobody wants to go there because of the political uncertainty, which only hurts the people of California. And then to make it worse, the wealthy people in California. This doesn't affect them really that no. much. It's the poor people in California that- And there's a lot of them. Yeah, and this is, you know, uh, anyway, you know what, California, hearts and prayers yeah. out to you. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers, yeah. All righty. Well, here's something good. Energy CEO fights climate science and LinkedIn and North Face too. This is talking about Chris White with Liberty Energy Services. We know Chris, he actually was on your show. Yeah. Back before brilliant the, man. Brilliant man. Funny, actually, as Yeah, hell. he's, yeah. <laughs> um, before the pandemic, when we had our happy hours, which- In Denver. In Denver. We actually did it at their corporate offices, which was great. So basically, he is putting the truth out there in all the social channels. He put a really cool video together, put it on LinkedIn. LinkedIn pulled it down, said it violated their policies. He went back to LinkedIn and said, prove that they violated policies. They couldn't, so they had to reinstate it. <laughs> <laughs> Take that. <laughs> And what he's saying is there is no climate crisis. He's saying that hydrocarbons are the most important molecule to mankind and that a lot of the climate hysteria is politically driven and that there is no way to run the world on renewables 100% and that hydrocarbons need to be in that mix. And right now it's very important because the world's in an energy shortage. And LinkedIn said that you're wrong and they yanked his video mm-hmm. and he appealed and Why? they said, you know what? Actually, I'll tell you what he said. He goes, prove me wrong. And they couldn't, so they reinstated <laughs> his video. This is also the same guy that pushed back against North Face when they wouldn't fill an order, which makes North Face super hypocritical because I would say 90% of stuff they produce, the raw yeah. stuff comes from hydrocarbons. Well, yeah, no, he made an entire video of everything they have that's made out of hydrocarbons. Yeah. And so, you know, if you get a chance, go check out the video. It's on Liberty's YouTube. It's also on their LinkedIn. Yeah, it's a good 12 minutes. Yeah. I just love a CEO basically with the balls to step up in public and push back. And not back down, yeah. Yeah, and push back on the anti-oil and gas movement. We need more of this sort of stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, hey, you should connect him and API. Y'all should all have a little bit of a discussion. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he probably not a huge fan of API. Maybe I can help change that. (laughs) There's always the possibility. It's always the future. Yeah. All right. So three climate takeaways from Biden's second state of the union. 
So you know what's interesting about this? I'll, actually, I'm gonna get to that. What I found interesting toward the end of this, but so first thing he talked about it's about rebuilding America's infrastructure, and he's right. Our infrastructure is old. A lot of it was built right after World War II. We need new infrastructure, new modern infrastructure built both for electrical distribution, our roadways, rail, and there's money for this along with doing things like schools and everything else. So the problem with that, the Inflation Reduction Act, as far as rebuilding American infrastructure, is a lot of the money is earmarked toward renewable projects, which just don't make fiscal sense or don't always make fiscal sense. So they don't make fiscal sense to the degree that this current administration is trying to say. You know, when you have outages in the Upper East Coast because of extreme cold or here in Texas or whatever, that shouldn't happen in this country. It used to not happen. And there's a bunch of reasons why it does happen. But by not having enough baseload from hydrocarbons, it's going to happen again. But I think it is really cool that we're at least understanding that the American infrastructure needs to be improved. The other thing that they don't mention in here that I thought was really cool about the infrastructure part of the IRA is they're requiring a lot of the parts and pieces for the renewables to be manufactured here in the U.S. So not oh, China. good. Well, good, because the money's here. So the money stays here, and yeah. it's American jobs, and it also prevents other countries from having leverage on the U.S. from an energy point of view. So anyway, there's about $8 billion for grid improvements, which is actually really good. I really would like to see that be like more like 15 And then there's another $6 billion in there for mass storage projects. That's $6 billion for storage is a waste of money. The next thing they talked about is climate change and climate threat. I think he was quoted saying the climate crisis doesn't care if you're in a red or blue state. Here's where I'm getting a little bit worried, Paige. If our government decided that climate crisis was a threat to the U.S. They could enact executive privileges and get around our judicial process, which worries me, especially for the amount of debt that we're running right now, how low the strategic petroleum reserve is, and the fact that other nations like China looks like they have their sights on seeing what the U.S. would do in some type of conflict. Now, here's where it got interesting. He went off script and said that oil and gas is still needed for 10 years. That was not anybody's notes. If you could have seen the face of his fellow Democrats when he said that, they were like in awe. And twice he slipped off script and talked about this. Now, well, I mean, is anybody surprised that he went off script? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, now, but the part that I didn't like about this when he went to the energy part is he really just like lambasted the oil and gas companies for their record profits. And it's like I've t- said this a dozen times. Yes, they're making record profits because of you, current U.S. administration and other administrations in the world that push us into this energy shortage. And the only thing that's keeping lights on is the oil and gas industry. So don't beat us up for making record profits when you're the reason. And we had record losses for the whole decade before that. And then he's fussing that a lot of the public companies are using the money to buy back stock instead of plowing that money into new refineries and drilling. And quite frankly, if I was an executive at you know Exxon or Chevron, I'm not dumping money in a refinery. No. Yes, are you crazy? It's too much political risk. And you don't hear any of that. But it was interesting to see him slip off and actually mention the oil and gas is still important, still needed. I think his time frame of 10 years is about 1,000 years yeah, too I'm, short. Yeah, I'm kind of going, where did he get 10 years from? Yeah. And then it's interesting. He actually, it's another place he went off script. He's talking about the record profits. And when he asked all executives on why they're not using these record profits to drill, they basically, as a group, told him the same thing. What? We're afraid you're going to shut down all the oil wells and all the refineries. So why would we invest in them? Right. Yeah. So anyway, current administration, the state of union address, I watched it. I didn't watch it in real time. I watched it later. was more or less what I thought it was. 
I was surprised that we went off script and said that we need oil and gas another 10 years. I couldn't watch it. I can't handle that. Yeah. It's, it's, I can't handle something so cringy. Yeah. But anyway, that's what it was. Like I said, I, our infrastructure does need the investment. So I'm glad that money's there. Let's see what actually happens. Let's see how many modern new roads get built, how many more modern electrical distribution grids get built. Because when you have politics involved and you have this much money, a lot of times what they say they're going to do mm. isn't actually what happens. Yeah, well, I mean, that's across the board. Across the board, not pick on this administration. No, nope, across just the all, board. All of the above. Okay, U.S. slapped sanctions on firms selling Iranian oil products in Asia. About freaking time. <laughs> so our last administration, because of Iran's revamping of their nuclear program, which is absolutely headed toward making nuclear weapons, put sanctions basically not allowing them to sell their crude oil and natural gas, which hurt them financially to keep them from building weapons of mass destruction. And what's happened is they found a workaround, which they always do. The Department of Treasury's Office of Foreign Affairs Control sanctioned six Iranian-based petrochemical manufacturers, three firms in Malaysia, and I think one in Singapore, basically taking these black market hydrocarbons on the market, moving them through Asia, and then sell them to the rest of the world, basically getting around the sanctions. So we caught them. They got busted. They're being shut down. And this is us making sure that we keep those sanctions there and limit those exports. Now, we're limiting the exports to the point that they can still feed their people. They still have medical supplies, but not enough so they can fund their nuclear program, which is mm. absolutely headed toward mass, mass destruction. And before I get off of this, I just want to mention real quick. This is the 12th of February here in the U.S. and Canada. We've had a couple incidences of our military shooting down balloons from China. Yeah, like I said, I'm tired of being being part of history. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with that. It's not normal. Right. Right. Our government did a couple things which make no military sense to me. I don't know why you would send an F-22 Raptor to shoot down a balloon. An F-22 Raptor is a stealth plane. It's not a good air-to-air fighter. I don't know why they didn't send F-15 or F-16s. I don't know why they sent one plane. Typical of a mission like this, you send at least two, uh-huh. right? So you have a wingman. And I'm not sure why they shot things down with a missile. A cannon or machine gun would have been just fine. So something's going on. I don't know what yet. I'm not convinced that this was anything other than a Chinese poking at us to see what we would do. Right. And if that's right, I think the way we reacted to it was wrong. But what's happened is going to affect the oil and gas market in the future. So we're going to stay on top of these stories, even though there's not really a story to report on yet. I think there's a beginning of something big starting to happen. Yeah. Or we're being attacked by aliens. I don't know. Anything's possible at this point. Because <laughs> there's another one found over Montana. Trudeau had, you know, called for us to shoot something down over there. I don't know. If aliens travel 100 millions of light years <laughs> to visit this planet. Or maybe they're messing with us. <laughs> and, and their method of observation is a balloon. <laughs> well, I don't think the balloon part was. I know. I think that was definitely China. It was the other things that were they actually shot down. Had other UFOs they couldn't identify. Yeah. 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 So, all right. Well, let's wrap it up on a good note. Roughneck workers turn to complete teddy bears after finding abandoned puppy on Texas oil rig. One of them adopts her and names her Riggs. How that wonderful is a, a story. That's adorable. Yeah. So, a bunch of roughnecks out on the job. And if you don't know what that job's like, you don't just lollygag around. It's sun up to sundown, busting butt, hard, heavy work. These are the guys you don't want to pick on in a bar, right? They found a puppy. The puppy was astray. The puppy was scared of them. This team of roughnecks got together. They baby talked and cooed the scared little puppy until they got the puppy out of the heavy industrial operations. They eventually caught her. 
They fed her, they watered food, and then here in Texas, when you find a stray, you have to bring it to the local pound just in case somebody lost their dog, right? And so they did that. They brought it to the local pound. Then after the proper amount of time went by, one of the roughnecks went and adopted the dog from the pound, named her Riggs, brought it home to his little boy, and now they're inseparable. Oh, looks like a pit mix, maybe. Yeah, but I just think it's cool that some of the roughest workers in any industry in the world still care and still took the time to save this little puppy's life. And not only saved this little puppy's life, made sure it was okay to the point that once they brought her to the pound and nobody came to claim her, they claimed her themselves and named her Riggs. So Riggs, big shout out. Yeah, because she listens. (laughs) (laughs) Our dog listens. Well, yeah. Not very well. All right. All right, what? I don't know. <laughs> you, you usually do your little spiel, and then I do my red count. Yeah, so let me do my little spiel. If you want to advertise with us, we have a bunch of different options. Go to OGGN.com, hit pricing. We you, act actually, like, you act like we haven't done this before. <laughs> so, Actually, it's been really interesting. Our back catalog, so think of our all of our shows, the older episodes that are three months or older, get about 37,000 different people listening a month because they discovered the oh, show. Oh, that's cool. Well, it's a very low-cost way to advertise. It's only $50 per CPM. So you get a, basically in front of 1,000 people that listen to us for 50 bucks. It's I've sold it twice. Actually, I shouldn't say I sold it. Two companies reached out and bought it twice. So cool. if you're if you're a small company and your marketing budget working with us is only a couple hundred bucks, we have an option for that that's actually working. Our Energy Continuity Conference has been pushed out to September, but there's still exhibitor spots out there. Just go check out energycontinuityconference.com. And then weekly recount, where are we? Okay. We're at 761 in the United States. We're up two. Canada's up one at 250. Internationally, we're up one at 901. Good numbers. Yep. Also, good numbers is our LinkedIn company page is way past 50,000. Go join if you want to keep track of what we're doing, such as next week. And it'll be too late for you to join us by the time you listen to this. We're doing a lunch at API, and I have four marketing experts from different companies like Caterpillar, National All Well, TCS, and our own Matt, our own CMO Matt. And we're going to talk about how to use marketing and oil and gas to drive sales. How cool is that? Mm-hmm. So that sort of stuff you can find out both <laughs> on the LinkedIn company page and also my monthly events email newsletter. Go to the show notes, click on links, sign up. We never spam you. We just update you on really cool events that are going on. If you want myself or any of our peers to come speak at your event, do a live podcast, let us know. We do that a lot. People love it. I actually had one of the students from NAEP post a picture holding one of our hot sauces. Which I oh, good. Really cool. Good, good, good. Yeah. In the first Friday Q&A, that's coming up. That's where Paige and I answer your questions. If you have a question, either go to OGGN.com or OnlyGasThisWeek.com. And your question, if we use your question on there, you get a big shout-out. Ready to get out of here? Yeah. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast. A production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.